What's up, everybody? East Spencer Kite here on Wednesday morning, May 17th. Keyboard Kimura, the Keyboard Kimura platform for one question for every fight. UFC Vegas 73 takes place this weekend at the UFC Apex, headlined by a strawweight fight between Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. It is a interesting card to me. I understand that this is going to be one that a lot of people groan about. A lot of people want to pass on. There are some fights and some fighters on this card that I am certainly interested in. And I look forward to going through this card. Before we do, a couple little points of interest, points of note, as we always do. The handle at the bottom of the page, at Spencer Kite. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter through that handle. Instagram is blowing up today because of the clips from my conversation with Laura Sanko. That video, that full interview is up both here on the YouTube channel as well as through the Substack podcast offering. So speaking of the Substack, if you click that QR code above me, that will take you to the Substack page where you can subscribe to Keyboard Kimura, get all the information, all the content that I put out through that platform delivered right to your inbox. As soon as I hit publish, you can sign up for free. You can sign up for $5 a month or you can sign up for 50 bucks a year that gets you the paid subscriptions, get you everything. The free subscriptions get you everything in front of the paywall. Starting next month, some stuff is going to go behind the paywall. Probably the Monday and Tuesday offerings. Um, some of the rewatch stuff. Some of the additional features that I put out. So we have the, the roster of content that I've been putting out for the last couple of weeks since I've been back. The fight week specific stuff. Everything that becomes non-fight week specific or or additional to what I'm doing routinely is going to start going behind a paywall so that there is some value to those fine folks that are subscribing. And I do appreciate each and every one of you, whether it is paid, whether it is free, you guys give me the energy, you men and women, you folks give me the energy to continue doing this every single day. I also got a shout out. You see it in the other corner. You see it on the head. You see it on the, sh- on the, on the body. Got to shout out the guys at One Bone. Dropped a new website this week, onebonebrand.com. That is also the Instagram and Twitter handle. IG is where you'll find most of their stuff. They also have a channel here on YouTube. Please go check out their stuff. New gear dropped. New tie-dye colors dropped. The summer line is dropped. Drop 009 is out. It is full of good stuff. I tell you this every time I sit down here. I don't say this because I'm sponsored, because I'm getting anything for it. I say it because I want to advocate for a brand that from the minute I started wearing it, made me feel good about me and about what I had on. They are the absolute best, big and all, not big and tall. There's stuff for everybody. We hooked up the boys at Severe with a couple of things before, before I parted ways there. They all love it. They all love the quality. It's not just me that will tell you this. Everything is terrific. So please go check them out at One Bone Brand or OneBoneBrand.com. But now, let's get into these here fights. UFC Vegas 73, as I said, headlined by Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. And my question for this one is how much, if at all, has Mackenzie Dern improved since her last fight? And really, you could stretch this to her last several fights. We all know the book on Mackenzie Dern at this point. And I don't say that meaning that she's incapable of improving. Obviously, that's the question here. But Mackenzie Dern has rudimentary, sort of basic stand-up skills and a lights-out grappling game. 
The trouble for Dern thus far in her UFC career, I would argue, is that she hasn't been able to just find those ways to get into her grappling effectively or as as frequently and effectively as she would like. We've seen the hands come along a little bit. They are better today than they were at the start of her career, thanks to Jason Perillo and the work they have done together. She has a little bit of pop, but it is very basic striking. And the old sort of idea, the old tenant with a lot of these world-class grapplers and primarily Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors that come over from the world of competition jiu-jitsu into MMA struggle to have those setups and struggle to have either the wrestling or the ability to get inside and get an opponent down to the canvas where they are most effective. We saw a couple of weeks ago, Crone Gracie was pulling guard on Charles Jordan, who did a great job of just defensing, shelling up, keeping his arms in, not letting Gracie get anything going. That's sort of been a similar issue for Mackenzie Dern. When she gets a hold of you and gets you into her world, it's danger. We saw that in the fight with Yan Chaonan last time out, which she lost by majority decision. But in the rounds where she wasn't able to do that, she just doesn't have the striking and the effectiveness on the feet to be a real threat. And so in a fight like this against Angela Hill, who is a very steady, very deck, very, very just sturdy all around fighter who works behind high volume, high pace, good output, is a good athlete still at this, at this stage of her career, at this age of life. Is Mackenzie Dern going to have figured out a couple things in the last six months that allow her to get into those grappling situations? Has she gone and picked up a little bit of, okay, I just need to get in around a waist and this is how I can get in to a fit in and, and a body lock. And then we can go from there. Or is Angela Hill going to be able to just keep her on the outside, stick her with jabs, stick her with low kicks, stick her with teeps to the body and just volume, volume, volume to where Mackenzie Dern is rendered relatively ineffective. I want to see it because as I said off the top of this, Dern on the ground in grappling situations is absolutely lights out and a nightmare to deal with, but she's got to get you there first. And thus far, she hasn't shown a consistent enough ability to get high level athletes to those positions. And I want to see if that has changed at all in the last few months. Co-main event, Edmund Shabazi and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez in the middleweight division. My question for this one is how does Shabazian hold up against a tougher test? So started his career, four straight wins, had the three straight finishes, rockets into the top 10. And is a kid at 21, 22 years old, fighting in Madison Square Garden, coming off a knockout win over Brad Tavares, looks like everything is wide open in front of him. Everything is here and waiting for the taking for you. He looks like the golden boy, as his nickname is, maybe was. I'm not sure if he's, he's changed it thus far. And then he runs into tougher competition. He runs into Derek Brunson. He runs into Jack Hermanson. Runs into three straight losses. And he goes away for a while. Has to deal with some injuries. Has to deal with sort of the ramifications for himself of, of dealing with some setbacks. Getting healthy, COVID, all these different things pile up. And Edmund sort of takes... Takes a sabbatical a little bit. He came back last year, got a good win 
over Dolce Lungiambula. Any win where you get back into the win column and you snap a three-fight losing streak is a good win to me. And it's a good win because Dolce Champion presents some troubles in that he has built like an absolute tank and he hits like a truck. And Shabazian did well to navigate that fight and eventually get the finish. But Fluffy Hernandez is in Dolce Lungiambula. And we saw especially last time out from Hernandez where he put the pace on Marc-Andre Barrio and, and just ran through him to pick up a third straight victory that he's starting to grow and develop and mature and figure out what works best for him as an athlete. And so as these two under 30 middleweights get into the cage, get into the octagon this weekend, I want to see how Shabazian does against a guy that we know what he brings to the table, that he's having some success, that things are going well. This is the first real test since he's come back. As I said, the Lungi and Bula win is a good win to get straight, to get right, to get moving in the right direction. But now we're talking about a guy that could and maybe should beat you. And now you've got to go out and win this coin flip and show us the improvements, the development, the maturation, the things that have been addressed in the couple of years since those losses. Because we know what Fluffy Hernandez is going to bring to the cage. It's going to be a pace. It's going to be good, clean boxing. He's going to look to take you down every once in a while. If you get into scrambles, he's going to go after your neck. Can you defend it? Can you fend it off? Can you dictate the terms of engagement? Can you find ways to hurt him on the feet? It's a really interesting fight to me. I really like these two. I've liked them since they were on the Contender Series. I see the upside in each of them, especially in this division, which is always wide open. And I want to see how Shabazian holds up this weekend. Next up, we go to the strawweight division. Emily Ducote and Lupi Godinez. My question for these two women is, will we see diversity of attacks from either of them? So through two fights, Emily Ducote has strictly been a kickboxer. Now she's one and one. She got a good win against Jessica Panay in her debut and then lost last time out to Angela Hill, headlining here. It's a common thread between Dakota and Godinez. Both have lost to Angie Hill very recently. But it has just been working on the feet and, and against Angie Hill. She got beat to the punch. She wasn't able to throw volume. She wasn't able to really get into a rhythm and just got outworked by a veteran. Godinez has a good wrestling base, has a good grappling base and is a strong powerful woman but in the last few fights we've seen her sort of fall in love and have that that issue that a lot of wrestlers run into of i really like throwing these hands i really like mixing it up on the feet and so she spent the duration of her fight with cynthia calvillo just throwing hands and i want to see if either one of these women in this catchweight fight loopy comes in on short notice so we're meeting it at 120 instead of 115 I want to see if either of them look at the other and say, you know what? I can, I can change levels. I can look for some takedowns. I can look for some clinch work just to differentiate things. Not that I'm opposed to a kickboxing bout between these two, but I think it leaves some of the quality skills that each of these women possess on the table. If all we get is a, is a kickboxing match. Lupe Godinez is at her best when she's using that physicality and that strength to just toss you around the octagon. And I think for me, Emily Ducote is at her best when she's mixing everything up and there's got to be the threat and there's got to be the worry that if I get into a scramble situation or I get in too close, 
she's got some other stuff that she can offer here. Again, not going to be opposed to seeing them stand on a, on a dime in the center of the octagon and just bang it out. Certainly going to enjoy that kind of fight. But I think for either of them to be their absolute best, we need to see more diversity. And I want to see if either one of them makes that conscious choice on Saturday. Move to the welterweight division, Andre Fialio and Joaquin Buckley. My question is what kind of impact can Buckley have at welterweight? So I spoke to Joaquin Buckley a couple of weeks ago for a story that is up now on the UFC website about this move, about coming down. And one thing I will say about Joaquin Buckley is that he does not pull any punches. He does not couch any answers. You ask him, hey man, why are you going back? Why, why is now the time? to go to welterweight and his words and i quote are shit it sucks getting knocked out some boys hit at well at middleweight and he and it was the clay davis fully elongated shout outs to the wire version version of shit i think buck has some skills obviously that transfer going down he always felt a little undersized fighting at middleweight despite the fact that he was sculpted and chiseled and clearly powerful and explosive and dynamic as an athlete, he's 5'8". And so when you're in there against guys that are 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", and that's not even getting into the monsters like Alex Paheya or Israel Adesanya, who is 6'4", and a solid 185, it always put him at a little bit of a disadvantage. And it speaks to how well he did and, and what kind of athlete and fighter he is that he was able to have some of the success he did. And I don't just mean the Impa Kasangane knockout because that's a beautiful dynamic kick, but he had more success than that, right? He's five and four in the UFC. And that's another part of it. He doesn't want to be a 500 fighter because he doesn't believe that's the extent of who he is at this level. And so he goes down now, he makes the move down now, sort of has been thinking about it for a while, got knocked out last time by Chris Curtis and said, it's time to go. And he gets this matchup with Fialu that I absolutely adore because these two dudes are just going to get after it. Like this is all Fialu knows. And I think it's all Buckley wants to show in this fight is you were impressed with some of what I did at middleweight. Come see what I can do at welterweight. Now, this has been a fight that he's thought about, looked at kind of been after a little bit since they were both in Bellator back in the day. And it never materialized. It never came together. From his telling of it, the Fialu side didn't really want to have any response. It was crickets. And so Saturday night, it's happening. They're getting in there. We're going to see it. And I want to see what kind of impact Buck can have. We had, a lot of people had very high hopes for Andre Fialu when he came into the UFC, right? Good accounting for himself on short notice against Michel Pejea. Two good knockout wins after that. First round finishes, Miguel Baeza, Cameron Van Camp, but he's struggled since. The loss to Jake Matthews, the loss last time out as well, and, and the name for that one is, is escaping me. I apologize. And so this is this is a chance for Fialu to sort of steady and regroup, and it's a chance for Buckley to just drop in right away and get a win over a top 30 guy. Get a win over a top 25 guy and say, here's the baseline. Here's the floor of where I fit in this division. This is my starting point 
wait till you see when I get more comfortable, when I get more settled, when I get more dialed in on the weight cut, when I set up a little bit more in terms of training situations and who I'm working with before these camps, and I get more than a month's notice to fight this dude. I think there's a chance this can be real interesting. And I think Joaquin Buckley can be interesting at welterweight. And I want to see how that journey starts on Saturday. Move to the lightweight division. Mahashate against Vyacheslav Borshov. And my question is, which Dana White Contender Series alum from season five rebounds here? So Mahashate won his contract with a win over BFL champ out here, Achilles Estremadura. Um, on his season, it was the last episode of season five. Slava Borchov won his with a left hook that sent Chris Duncan into the shadow realm. Chris Duncan has subsequently come back, earned himself a contract, earned himself a UFC win. Mahashate won his debut against Steve Garcia, but then lost to Hafa Garcia next time out. Apparently there's no more Garcias for him to fight, so he's facing Slava Claus. Borchov debuted with a first round knockout win over, or sorry, a first round stoppage win over Dakota Bush. Beautiful liver shot. First card of the year back in January, 2022. And then lost to Mark Chikasey, who out-wrestled him, and Mike Davis, who out-wrestled him. So obviously, we got to see if he's shored up the wrestling because whoever is in Mahashate's corner should just be drilling. This guy can't stop a takedown. He hasn't shown that he can successfully stop a takedown, get himself back up, Let's see. My thought is that this is more likely similar to Fialu and Buckley going to play out on the feet. And so it's going to come down to who lands first, but those losses have impact. And, and especially for Borshov, I'm really curious to see if being out wrestled kind of makes him a little hesitant on the feet because you can't go out there throwing not with reckless abandon but just without caution when you've been wrestled that way in your last two fights and it's just neutralized everything that you do Mahashate same thing last time out against Rafa Garcia just in against a more experienced a better all-around fighter and wasn't able to get anything going and so each of these guys need a victory to sort of right the ship get steering in the right direction as they kick off 2023 I don't know that either of them have tremendous upside. Like, I don't think either of these guys really advances beyond sort of number 21 in the division. But there's utility still, as I talk about every every time I sit down here, there's utility still to those people in the 21 through 35, 40 range, depending on the division, depending on the depth of it. And so this is a chance to see which of these guys gets going forward steadies themselves a little bit and earns themselves a little bit of safety, a little bit of breathing room going into the back half of the year. Move to lightweight for the main card opener. Diego Fajaya returns against Michael Johnson. My question is how much does Fajaya have left in the tank? This is a guy that was in the top 15 for probably about two years after some good wins, some solid performances, I think the victory over Anthony Pettis really catapulted him to a level of recognition. That's the last win, though. It's been three straight losses since. It's all good fighters. It's all supremely talented fighters, right? Benil Daryush is in there. Matoyish Gamrod is in there. Gregor Gillespie is in there. He's not losing two scrubs. But 
He also hasn't fought since December, 2021. He's 36 years old. He's been doing this for a while. The last couple times out, it has been start well and then fade or not have enough drive and push and sort of resolve response to getting hollered at by safe Saud in the corner. And so I just wonder if we've hit that point with Fahea and maybe the time off has been what he needed, maybe 18 months to just be away, reset, take a, take a breath, take a beat is what he needed, but I want to see it. And Michael Johnson feels like to me, the perfect opportunity, the perfect opponent to test this, to pose this question in physical form, in physical sense, inside the octagon on Saturday. Love him or hate him or regardless of the record. Michael Johnson has fought one of the toughest slates of competition in the UFC of people on the active roster right now. Go look at it. It's ridiculous. And now a bunch of them didn't go his way. A bunch of those big fights didn't go his way. But you have to understand and you have to recognize that when you're the guy tabbed to face Justin Gaethje in his promotional debut, that speaks to something. When you're the guy that's facing Khabib Nurmagomedov in Madison Square Garden as Khabib is on the ascent, still not at the championship yet, that speaks to something. That speaks to your skill and where you stand in this division. Or stood, I should say. It's been a little better of late for MJ. Two wins in his last three could arguably be three straight, depending on your thoughts on the split decision loss to Jamie Malarkey. I feel like he's a very good test to see where Diego Fajaya is at this weekend. And we're going to find out. This division remains, lightweight remains, to me, the second best division in the UFC. Hands down, it is above welterweight for me, behind bantamweight. Always going to ride for the bantamweights. This is a great fight. This is a really good fight that's going to give us some insights into a pair of veteran competitors and where they fit right now going into the second half of the year as summer kicks off. Final fight on the prelims, Karolina Kovalkiewicz against Vanessa Demopoulos. And my question is a simple one. Which unexpected run continues? So Kovalkiewicz returned after a year off on a four-fight losing streak. She lost again, was quickly submitted by Jessica Penney back in 2021 when Penney was coming back off her long hiatus. But last year, she picked up a pair of victories. She defeated Felice Herring, and then she defeated, I, I can't remember who the other one was, and I do apologize, um, to get a second straight victory and to run it. It was Silvana gomez Juarez. There we go. It comes to me. See, these things are just in my mind. I just have to think about them. Defeated Silvana gomez Juarez to, to run the winning streak to two. And we saw the emotion come over her, right? That fight was at Madison Square Garden where she had lost her championship fight to Yoana Yanjaychik several years earlier that kicked off that extended losing streak. And while I don't think the Polish veteran is, is back to being a contender, I'm happy to see her back active, having success, enjoying what she's doing again. Because she's a great fighter. She was a great fighter for a number of years. And it just went sideways for whatever reason. And there are surely a number of them. She's on a nice little run here. Vanessa Demopoulos comes in on a three-fight winning streak that just sort of feels like, how is she putting this together? And I don't say that disrespectfully. Like, I don't say that dismissively. 
But like, I never envisioned this for Vanessa Demopoulos. She lost her fight on the contender series to Corey McKenna. She lost to Luby Godinez back in LFA, dropped the title to her, got a win, won the belt back, got called up, short notice, goes up to flyweight, loses to JJ Aldrich. But since then, it's been pretty good. She catches an armbar against Silvana Gomez Juarez. Yes, she got cracked and dropped to start that sequence, but she recovered well, scrambled well, got the arm, got the finish, jumped up into Joe Rogan's arms, and has subsequently earned a pair of decision wins after that. One against Jin Hu Fry that is debatable, another against Maria Oliveira, which is debatable. But she's getting the job done. And even if you disagree with the outcome of those fights, Demopolis is making them close enough to give the judges something to think about. And I want to see if she can keep doing it. Because Kovalkiewicz is a little bit cleaner. She's a little more polished. She's good everywhere. This is a fight where if Demopolis looks to get it to the ground, Kovalkiewicz is a very good grappler in her own regard. I don't think, again, sort of similar to some of these other fights. I don't think this is us looking at future contenders or talking about women that are going to progress a great deal up the rankings. Both are in their mid-30s at this point. And so I think we're we're capped in terms of how far we're going to go. But should still be a competitive, entertaining fight that tells us a little bit more about where each of these ladies are right now, in the here and now, and what they can be going forward. And this is the, the, the thing I want to really drill down on on this fight and several of them on this card. There's a bunch of fights here, and this one specifically. The winner of this is going to be in there with somebody that has upside and has progress potential at 115 next time out. That's my assumption. That's what I believe. And so if that one is going to be important for the ascending fighter, this one is important to figure out which of these women share the octagon with that person down the road. Everything is connected. It's not just one-offs. It's how we get there. It's how things progress. To me, those are all important. Looking forward to seeing this one. Move back to the welterweight division. Orion Kosi against Gilbert Urbina. My question is, will either man show us anything of substance? And I'm not trying to be dismissive or disparaging to either of these gentlemen but we haven't seen anything from either of them yet through their limited UFC exposures that make me believe either is anyone I need to pay real close attention to at this point. Orion Kosi got a win over Blood Diamond last time out. He lost his debut. Gilbert Urbina was on The Ultimate Fighter season 29, fighting at middleweight, replaced Treshawn Gore in the finals, lost to Brian Battle, hasn't fought since. And so now he's going down a division, making his return after 18 months away, I just want to see it, right? This is a chance for each of these guys to go out there and make an impression. Again, we're not talking about who's going to be a contender, who's going to be a prospect. Let's just see if one of them or both of them can make an impression, can give even guys like me that are pretty easy to sway pretty easy to get on your side if either of them can get me on their side can get me to a place where i'm looking where i'm really truly looking forward to seeing them back out there the next time kosi's got a little bit of pop he showed that on the contender series but he like his brother lewis who has subsequently been bounced from the ufc already 
fought a real easy slate on the way to the contender series. It's not like they were beaten good competition on the regional circuit. I think they both fought James McWilliams twice and he's got 70 some odd losses or something like that. Gilbert Urbina, a little bit better. He's fought some decent competition on the regional circuit, but it hasn't worked out. It hasn't worked out for any member of his family yet in the UFC. So we'll see if he can get there. And I just want to see, I think both of these men know coming in, this is a, this is make or break. This is, I really got to show something. And so I want to see if they do. Move to heavyweight, Alir Latifi and Rodrigo Nascimento. My question is, can Nascimento, Nascimento become more than a back end of the rotation guy in the heavyweight division? So for people that are listening or watching, if you're watching on the YouTube channel that don't follow baseball, that don't understand that jargon, back end of the rotation is your number four, number five starter in a pitching staff, which usually historically has been five deep. Number one is your ace. That is the best pitcher on your staff. That is your, your top dog. Number two is somebody that's pretty good, really good, depending on, on what team we're talking about. You know, old school Atlanta Braves staffs, one through three, one through four were all aces. But then there's always that person at the back end that's either just there to sort of eat up some innings, there to make a start every fifth day, every sixth, sixth day. And I think that's what we have with that glut of heavyweights that have been populating main cards that we've been making fun of for a year and a half, two years now. And I want to see if Nascimento can grow out of that because overall he's two and one with one no contest in the UFC. He's coming off a good win, a good performance against Tanner Boser. He had a good win, a good performance against Dante Mays in his debut. He looked good against Alain Baudot when he beat him before testing positive and that being overturned and getting suspended. So let's just see. There's little pieces of what he does that is good. Now, he didn't look great against Chris Dawkins when he got knocked out, which, unfortunately for him, sort of sets a little bit of a bar in my mind of how high this guy can go and how far he can go. But I don't want to discount the potential for growth, the potential for development over the years since that fight and going forward. Latifi is a great measuring stick. Stout, compact wrestler, got some pop, loads of experience, tough guy to get out of there, never an easy fight. And so if Nascimento can go out and get a good win on Saturday, push the winning streak to two, the unbeaten streak to three, then that tells me a little bit of something and it makes me a little bit more intrigued. It doesn't necessarily mean he's out of that back end of the rotation territory, but it means he's going to get a little step up in competition next time out. And then we're going to see. We're going to keep furthering this along. If you beat Alir Latifi, then maybe you're getting somebody that's just outside that top 15. Maybe you're getting somebody that's just inside that top 15. Maybe you're getting another seasoned elder statesman like an Andre Arlovsky next time out to see how that one goes. And so I want to see. It's all about progressions, right? Coming off a good victory. Give him a veteran test now. Let's see how he does. That's all I can ask for on a Saturday. Move to the featherweight division, Chase Hooper and Nick Fiore. My question for this one is what can Hooper show in a favorable stylistic matchup? So I will start by saying that I was all the way wrong last time Chase Hooper stepped into the cage. I thought he was going to have a lot of success against Steve Garcia. 
And that 100% did not happen. He got lit up. He got battered. He got stopped. It was gross. Now he gets a fight with a fellow grappler. Nick Fiore is sort of the BJJ coach, the lead BJJ instructor and and best Brazilian jiu-jitsu pedigree credentialed fighter from the New England cartel. The crew that includes Calvin Cater, Rob Font, Tommy Pags, and, and led by Tyson Chartier, friend of the program. This should be, in theory, on paper, a fight where Hooper is able to play to his strengths, get into and maybe entice Fiore into some grappling exchanges where he can show the things that do make him good. And this is the the tricky rub with Chase Hooper is that when he's in his element, you see promise, you see positives. It's when he's not that it just looks terrible. And it's similar in a way to the Mackenzie Dern problem from the very start of this program. He just doesn't have the ability to get to where he wants to go right away on his own. It's difficult. And in that transition to it, in that attempting to get there, the striking is just, and and particularly the striking defense isn't there to keep him out of danger. And so he should be able to entice Nick Fiore to go to the ground with him. He should be able to entice and, and create some opportunities to clinch and to work from inside along the fence to maybe try to create some grappling situations because you know nick what's nick what's nick fiore got to bet against his own skills for why wouldn't he say sure let's go his striking isn't lights out maybe he decides to stand because chase hooper striking defense is was atrocious last time out and, and may still be we'll see about that one but i just want to see this kid has shown flashes at times I don't want to I don't want to abandon ship quite yet. I think overall and this is probably the first time I've actually said this about Chase Hooper and some of these young fighters that have come through contender series. So Hooper was signed to a developmental deal when he was on the contender series. He went and fought a couple times locally regionally here in Washington state just just south of the border from where I am. Got a couple of victories, had a loss in there, had a draw in there and then got called up he was in the UFC too early. He doesn't have the base foundation to have prolonged success in the UFC at this point of his life and his career. He is still a young, growing young man that needs to fill out, that needs to round out his skill set, that needs to figure out all of these things that are missing right now. And being in the UFC and being a win one, lose one fighter isn't necessarily doing him any favors. I understand why he's here. I understand why the UFC signed him to a developmental deal and brought him up because you don't want to be paying somebody to be fighting on the regional circuit for three, four, five years as they grow and develop. But still, he needs the work. He needed the work. And I want to see if some of that work has been being done and being implemented and taking root as he returns on Saturday. Go to the flyweight division, Natalia Silva and Victoria Leonardo. My question is, where does Silva fit in the flyweight collective? I personally believe that she is deserving of a spot in that pack of young fighters led by Aaron Blanchfield that are making waves and disrupting things in the flyweight division alongside the likes of Casey O'Neill, Macy Barber, and Miranda Maverick. 
I have been thoroughly impressed with what Silva has done thus far. She looked very good against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious in her debut. She looked even better against Teresa Bleda in her sophomore appearance. Spinning back kick to the face, always a thing that's going to catch my attention, always something that's going to make me want to come back and see more. I think this is a very favorable matchup for her on Saturday against Leonardo, who is coming off a win over Mandy Boom, lost her first two fights. I feel like this is one where Silva comes out and shines again. She is a part of my Fighters on the Rise series this week for UFC.com. That is out. Check my timeline for it. I think this is a fight that should be further up the fight card. I think she is an athlete that should be getting a little bit of spotlight and a little bit of attention. Hence the reason she is in Fighters on the Rise this week so that at least I'm out here in these streets telling you that you should be paying attention to Natalia Silva so that you can't say nobody is telling us this. I'm telling you right now, pay attention to Natalia Silva. I think she shines. And I think in the next, in the, in the second half of this year, she's going to get a fight against someone of real substance and impress a whole bunch of people. I think she's that good. I think she's going to be a top 15 fighter within the next 12 months if not sooner. If you gave her an Andrea Lee fight after this one, I think she can beat Andrea Lee and climb into the rankings. And I want to see it. So I want to see her on Saturday so that we can get to that one. Last one, welterweight division, Takeshi Sato and Themba Garimbo. My question is, will Garimbo build on the positives from his debut? Now, he lost that debut. He was choked out by AJ Fletcher. But there were moments in that fight where he showed some some positives. He had Fletcher in some, some tough spots. He got out of some tough spots himself. And so for a 32-year-old who'd never been anywhere near this kind of stage, how much does just having that first one out of the way and going through that experience to where turning up at the apex this week isn't as eye-opening, isn't as jaw-dropping, isn't as awe-inspiring as the first walk? How much does that impact things? Because I think Takeshi Sato is a guy that had some success out of the gate in the UFC, but has struggled since, a little bit older, certainly somebody that this isn't a like lopsided matchup on either side. And if Garimbo can build off those things that he did well in the fight with Fletcher, he can come out here and get his first UFC win on Saturday and then see where we go from there. That's it for the show. Be back tomorrow with 10 things I like. As I said off the top, check out the Instagram. All kinds of clips going up this week from every show. Another one tomorrow from the conversation with Sanko. Another couple from this show. Couple from everything that we're doing going forward. Check out the YouTube page. Check out a conversation with. It's a terrific 45 minutes sitting down with Laura. She will be back in the future. We've got plenty more to talk about. She and I have built a very good relationship over these last couple of years chronicling her rise from you know backstage reporter and doing the interviews on contender series to where she is now and also where she wants to go going forward so she will be back please check that out i will be back tomorrow as i said sign up for the Substack. check out the boys on one bone love you appreciate you take care of yourselves we'll see you soon